Welcome to the Teachers on Fire podcast, where 21st century educators come to share, learn, and be inspired. We believe in the growth mindset, creativity, communication, critical thinking, collaboration, and strategic uses of education technology. Our mission is to share news and views from teachers who are crushing it in the classroom and making a difference for learners everywhere. I'm your host, Tim Cavey. Let's jump into today's episode. Today, I'm speaking with Brian Carpenter. Brian describes himself as a husband, father, fisherman, woodworker, scientist, online teacher, Google certified educator, and learner. Brian, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Are you ready to talk education? Yes, I am. Fantastic. Why don't you start by telling us about your current teaching situation? All right, Tim. Thanks for having me on your uh, podcast to start off with. It's, a, it's an honor to be asked and uh, a little bit of background about me. Uh, my current teaching role is uh, uh, I'm a teacher at the Abbotsford Virtual School here in Abbotsford, British Columbia, and uh, I am half-time library learning commons, which in my building being a virtual school makes me more of a helping teacher. Um, I also teach um, I also teach science and math online, and we'll also work with our uh, face-to-face students in the ADST curriculum, which is the Applied Design Skills and Technology curriculum. In the fall, I'm going to be the uh, secondary department head at our school, overseeing all of the uh, secondary courses and and teachers, working with them as a group to make sure that we uh, are able to meet the needs of our secondary students. Uh, we have the largest school enrollment in school in Abbotsford with about 2,500 students that enroll at our school, uh, but no, most of those students are only taking one or two courses with us and are not obviously full-time because we are a... Uh, what's been called a distributed learning school. Um, Yes. So, yeah. All right. Brian, we're going to start by taking, take the listeners to a low moment that you faced in your teaching or your education career, and then describe how you overcame it, how you worked through that experience. All right, Tim. Well, uh, that's a, that's a good question. And, uh, you know, I've had low moments throughout my teaching career, not a lot of them, but uh, this one in particular in my first year of teaching um, I was hired into a semester where I was taught, I had taught three blocks of science 10 and had a prep as the position that I was filling was for a teacher that moved into the vice principal's office at the secondary school. That was right out of the gates as I finished uh, my PDP program and uh, my fellow colleagues at the school were like, how did you manage such a sweet job? And I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about because I was a first year teacher. But uh, over the summer, um, after, after that semester, that started in January, and over the summer um, after that position ended, I was, uh, my contract ended. I wasn't even laid off. I just had no job after that and uh, had to apply for a posting after the layoff recall process happened, which is a custom that has happened in British Columbia here for many years, and uh, I finally got a job. Um, they took me on to teach at a, another high school in Abbotsford here at Yale Secondary, uh, where I was to, supposed to teach Science 10, Science 9, and Earth Science. Um, but they didn't hire me before the beginning of school. And uh, I was effectively TOCing for myself um, until they hired me, which was kind of a funny thing because it's like, okay, well, do I have the job? I don't know if I have the job. How much energy do I put into this as I am even basically TOCing for myself. Sorry, I have to cut in here for for listeners not in in British Columbia. TOCing means what? Teacher on call. So it's like a substitute teacher. 
Right. Um, so it's it's a it's a paid position by the district, and you get on a the teacher on call list, and then when they have a vacancy for a day or so, then they call out a teacher uh, to come in and fill in. Um, after I got they they did hire me after about a week, and uh, then they added Essentials of a Math Eleven, which was you know the low level math course here in Abbotsford in, in British Columbia at the time. And uh, so my role, my, I had four different subjects that I had to prep for wow. and only one that I taught before. Oof. So that's a, that's a lot, right? And, and I'm a first year teacher. And uh, before that, I've only been teaching now at this point in my career right now um, for nine years. I'm, I'm only a new, pretty still a young teacher. Um, previously, I was trained as a chemist and uh, you know, I, I, as a chemist that I, you know, when I went to the University of Calgary, came out with my master's and did research science for seven years at a research pharmaceutical company in Langley. Um, so, you know, I have experience with juggling things because as a research scientist, you got to do about 18 things at one time. Um, so, you know, managing the course load was, uh, it, I found it arduous and, and challenging it was crazy, but that's what all first-year teachers have to figure out how to do. They have to have to figure out how to manage the craziness of it. Oh, and on the home front, we had three children under the age of six. It was busy everywhere. You know, right. I could say that the PDP training that I got, the professional development program at the Simon Fraser University, which is teacher school, um, was the most difficult training that I had to do, even though um, I had accomplished my Master's of Science in Organometallic Synthetic Chemistry at the University of Calgary. Why was PDP harder than my master's of science? Well, during my master's, I was only responsible for myself. And having gotten married towards the end of that, it was challenging. You know, it was, uh, uh, you know, I got married towards the end of my master's. Um, but at that point, all I had to worry about was myself and my wife. Right. By the time PDP rolled around, I'd finished off as a research scientist and gotten laid off from that job because we got bought out through hostile board takeover, et cetera, et cetera. I did construction for a year, applied to get into teacher school, and went to teacher school. By the time I finished, we had three children under the age of six, a house, cars, you know, and we had a life here that was all hanging on the success of me being, you know, becoming a teacher. Wow. So, you know, that's a little bit of background about my this long story. Okay, so fast forward to this mix of courses that I was teaching at Yale, and uh, I was quite stressed out at the time. A fellow teacher, um, much senior to myself, he'd been there for a long time, and was also kind of a counselor at the school, um, called me aside one day and suggested that we go for coffee so he could encourage me and check in on me. Mm. He said, mm. teachers who don't figure out how to manage um, their, their load in the first 18 months of teaching are likely not likely to make it past five years. Mm. You know, when he said that, I was like, okay, I got to figure out how to do this because right. I would like to do this until, you know, I retire at this point and, uh, continue on as a teacher because I really enjoy this process. So, right. um, you know, how did I figure out how to do that? You know, I, I made sure that I had people around me. I had uh, fellow teachers around me that were in my corner that, you know, I could go and talk to, I could bounce mm -hmm. ideas off. I could talk to them about being stressed out and, and um, that they were there to be supportive. You know, my wife was, she was a big fan of mine and obviously, and uh, you know, we, she believed that this is what I was supposed to be doing and uh, you know, cheered me on and just was there to encourage me. So it, the biggest thing is, you know, having people around you that you can 
talk with and uh, spend time with to go through those low times. And don't try to do it by yourself. You know, you, this, this, this thing called teaching is about people and teachers need people as much as students need teachers to teach them. So, Well, Brian, that was so well said. And I can completely imagine that first year that you're, you know, you've left chemistry, right? Or, or uh, yeah. your planned career in this sort of in the science field, you've decided to make this big switch. You've moved. Is that correct? Uh, we lived in Calgary for the when I was in school, but then we moved out here to British Columbia. So okay. no, we didn't have to move at that point. Okay, so you you've made the career transition though, and you've decided you've committed. You've gone to the the after degree. When you mentioned PDP for people out of province, that's sort of after degree certification as a teacher, right? And then there you are in your first year, and you're prepping like a madman, and you're trying to get used to systems and protocol and procedures and all of those things that first year teachers have to reckon with. You're doing all of this prep work and obviously trying to stay on top of marking and everything else. You've got three kids under the age of six and unbelievable yep. story. I, I, you know, it happens. We hear that story too often, frankly, from rookie teachers. But yeah, I'm so grateful for that one teacher who, in your case, reached out and took you up for coffee. And obviously you, you point to that experience as sort of being instrumental in turning your maybe your mindset around. Is that fair to say? Well, just even just settled me, you know, it was yeah. not, I was, I was, I, I knew I wanted to do this for a long time. It was just that I yeah. didn't have a way of recognizing that things were almost getting out of control, hmm. you know? So he just called me out on that and said, Hey, you got to figure out how to control this because it's going to kill you. Mm -hmm. It's not going to work out. Right. Awesome, man. Love that. And obviously the lesson there for all of us as veterans is let's look out for those rookies you know, I think sometimes there's a thought that, that says on a subtle level, oh, we survived it, they'll survive it. But yeah, take those, take those chicks, if I can, maybe that's a bad metaphor, but take those, <laughs> those young ones under your wing. And, you know, the, the mentorship piece, the relationship building is so critical in our profession. So love that. Moving on, Brian, what is it that excites you about education today? This could be a big picture idea or maybe something you're doing right there in your classroom. Well, for me, um, what excites me about education today is the uh, level of digital literacy and talking about how we integrate technology into our teaching to empower teachers and students to improve their ability to communicate using tools that leverage communication mm -hmm. and allow for different demonstrations of learning. There's a the saying that a picture is worth a thousand words and how easy is that to accomplish today right. that we can take a picture of something that we've learned about mm -hmm. and, and share that now very easily. But compared to back when I was a student in school, taking a photo, you know, you had to go get dad's camera and convince dad <laughs> to, you know, let you use his camera. Yeah. And then you had to take the picture and you wouldn't get to see that picture for a month because dad wouldn't process that roll of film. <laughs> yeah. And, but today we can take a picture with our smartphones and the technology that we have on the iPads, like so simply and insert that into a document to demonstrate our learning. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm excited about how we have all these tools, these technology tools that, you know, are today. And I've got children that are in um, in elementary school that are just so normal. Mm -hmm. They're just there. The, the Chromebook and the iPad are tools that are just sitting there waiting to be used to do something with compared to 
when I first got an iPad, I was like, whoa, this thing's crazy. It can do so many things. But that was because I was an adult and I didn't grow up with that, right? You know, children today are, uh, are born that are in school in our, in our education system today have been born into the era where the internet exists. Mm-hmm. You know, I was born at a time when the, you know, we had black and white TV still actually in, in my home. Um, we didn't have color TV and it wasn't until I was about 10 years old that we got a color television, let alone, you know, the ability to, you know, do the things they did on Star Trek, like with the transponder, you know, Scotty would call Captain Kirk and they'd have a conversation over this handheld device (laughs) that was just so bizarre, right? right? You know, other things, let's look at Star Trek, right? You know, they've got Skype on Star Trek, right? Or video conferencing that now today is just normal, right? But back then, nobody was able to do that and it wasn't there at all. So just having these tools that are available to us as educators allows us to do things in different ways than you know we were even trained to do, and so I think that's pretty exciting. Um, other things, you know, as we learn and and grow in our digital literacy, um, conferencing has been a really important part for me. And going to conferences and the Google summits um, that are uh, are put on by a company called EdTech Team, um, they came out of California a number of years ago. Um, now there's EdTech Team Canada and other places around the world that have their own uh, version of that, their own um, country subsidiary of that. And uh, EdTech team has put on Google summits um, and other iOS summits and different conferences that we as educators can go to that we can collaborate and we can work on and we can learn about these technologies that are available to us through our web browsers. You know, like the fact that we can get to Google Docs and Google Slides and all these other Google tools that are effectively free is quite in- impressive. Um, so that's been a big part of my learning, you know, that that's that excites me. Um, and as an educator here in Abbotsford, uh, last year I called, reached out to, to EdTech Team Canada and said, hey, do you think we could have a Google Summit in Abbotsford? And it was that was last October that we did that, and I think that Tim, that's when you and I first met right. when you came out to Abbotsford to uh, to the conference, yeah. and it was the most encouraging thing to me was standing on Saturday morning and looking across the theater, and there was 175 people that were on volunteer time to learn about learn about education, right. you know, and and so I'm just excited about how we have all these tools available to us and incorporating them into our, even in our own teachers' daily lives, not even just in our classroom, but outside of that, that we can call them normal. And they're not these bizarre tools that, you know, you have to have a subscription for and all this stuff to be able to um, use them in our daily lives. So that excites me. Um, There's a quote that I've got uh, that I came up with a number of years ago. Technology is is merely a tool which when wielded appropriately can enhance this human endeavor we call education. Preach it, Brian. I love it. And yeah, absolutely. I'm, as you know, I'm a big fan of uh, ed tech team and everything that they bring. It was, it was very enjoyable to uh, sit in with Trevor McKenzie and Holly Clark and, and others that I'm, I'm forgetting their names just now, but a few of our, our mutual heroes and yeah, just the opportunity to continue following them on Twitter and, Taking in those great ideas, those tips, those strategies, uh, it's uh, I, I think education is better for it, and so it's just a phenomenal time that we're that we're in. By the way, in your your list of uh, in your list of future thinking shows, 
we got to keep the the Jetsons in mind, man. The Jetsons. Absolutely. Oh yeah, exactly. Well, that gets into robotics and everything with Rosie, right? So that's that's even beyond the web browser. So you know, that's flying cars and all all that stuff that we you know we grew up watching Star Wars and the Jetsons and and stuff. It's coming. It's on its way, right? True. It's coming. Brian, I'm I'm excited to go to this next question because you're a maker. You know, I just I look at what you're putting out there, and I know you're a maker. You're much, and it's not just because your last name is Carpenter, but you're just naturally you know, you've got that inclination to make and create. So outside of education, what is another area of passion and learning for you? Well, I'm going to say fishing and woodworking are are two actually passions of mine. The former being fishing, that's more easily accessible to me every day. But uh, growing through uh, after since I got married, I didn't actually didn't do any carpentry and woodwork before I got married. Like I, I didn't have a space to do that. Um, I lived in a small home with my family in Calgary. And then when we got married, you know, the, the, the garage became my workshop and we haven't parked our cars in the garage since, uh, <laughs> you know, we got married, you know, a number of years yeah. ago, because that's the place that I can go and I can build stuff, mm-hmm. right? Like the coffee table in my living room was, uh, was, a you know, a replica that I went to, to Sears home center and took my tape measure and I measured off this coffee table. And then I went home and I learned how to make a coffee. There you table, go. Which is still there today in my living room, you know, and I've got other things in my home that I've made. Um, and one of the things that I'm really proud of that I enjoyed making, it took me a really long time to make, was my my fly fishing boat, which ties in with wow. the fishing part. Um, it's, it's a plywood boat. And uh, my buddy that I was working with at the pharmaceutical company, his dad uh, helped them build this, a sim, this the same boat um, out of plans that came from Windsor Plywood now about 45 years ago. These plans were, you know, this, they, they, they assumed that you understood how to do woodwork compared right. to, you know, the procedures and all the explanation that goes along with things. Um, you know, they said, take the side and the bottom and join them together and seal them. And that was how you did that, right? right? You know, and there's a whole lot of other knowledge that you had to know how to do in order to be able to build a boat. So I learned and I did research on the internet. The internet was, uh, you know, a big handy tool for how to do different things with woodworking. Um, I built this fly fishing boat. And since then, I've caught lots of fish out of that same boat um, up country and, you know, the Merritt and Kamloops here in British Columbia, up in the, the, the interior lakes. And, uh, you know, I th- find that very fascinating. Part of the reason why woodworking and fishing for me are so fascinating is because there are problems that I don't know how to solve. Mm-hmm. They're my hobby and there's things that I have to learn about almost every project and every lake that I go to that allows me to be intrigued by the learning that goes on when I go mm-hmm. there. I don't go to the same lakes all the time. And even if I did go to the same lakes, the situation changes. So I have to learn and pay attention and adapt to the situation so that, you know, there's a better chance that I'll catch a fish or building a project in the garage. I got to learn a different technique of joinery or things like that of, you know, so that I can do a new project that I haven't formally done. So for me, learning is a big part of my hobbies. It's uh, it's something that, you know, it makes my hobbies more exciting um, so that I can, uh, you know, learn from those things. And, and it just, 
makes I'm, I'm prouder of the work that I do because, you know, I took time to learn it and it was the struggle of learning. So, yeah, I love that every it sounds like you're pushing yourself within your passions, within your hobbies to not stay in your comfort zone and continually grow and learn. And that's the spirit of inquiry mindset. That's that fits right in there. Brian, share about a personal habit that contributes to your success. This might be something you do on a daily basis, a weekly basis. I always say the weirder, the better. But what is your edge? What's your secret sauce? My secret sauce is the ability to reflect and uh, reflect and learn on my, you know, things that I've learned. Um, one way that I do that is through journaling. And journaling now has taken many different forms for me over the years. It started off with pen and paper, um, even before I was a teacher. Um, that, you know, as a, as a scientist and even just as a, as a university student, uh, when I was studying back, you know, 20 years ago, I took time to journal and write down things that I was learning about and struggles that I was working through. And so that I could go back in two or three weeks and go, Hey, we overcame that, you know, that was something that was a major problem, but I got past it and now I'm better for that. So it's a way of going back and remembering and recalling, um, things that you've learned about, um, putting, putting that in teacher, you know, teacher talk, we call it reflections. And when I was in the, the PDP program at SFU in 2008, reflecting on your learning was a big deal. That was something that we had to do every time we taught a lesson, every time we did a project, we had to sit down and reflect on that. Well, now that's the way of thinking in our classrooms with the uh, newly revised curriculum that students are supposed to reflect on their learning, even in our classrooms today, so that they can be better for that. Um, the, uh, last year in 2016, 17, I, uh, changed the way I did journaling and uh, took on making a teacher log video every day of the working, you know, every school day and professional development day that I had um, of that year, that school year. And it started on September, I think it was September 3rd. And I started off with, you know, in the words of, you know, Captain Kirk, you know, teacher log, you know, September 3rd, 2016, right. day one. Right. And I had a day number attached to each of my teacher logs that I would make a one to three minute video talking about what was I doing in my classroom? What was I learning about and what, you know, were, were things that were impacting me in a place that I could record that. I would take that teacher log, post it on YouTube and on Twitter so that others might be able to see it. But I wasn't doing it for the audience sake of doing it. it I was doing it more for the discipline of going, is it possible for me to actually do this thing um, every day for the whole of the year? And I'm really proud to say that after a year, 195 different episodes, I stopped because I got to the end of the school year and said, okay, that was a lot of work, but I'm glad I did it. And I learned a lot of things about, you know, how we can take these different technologies that are available to us. I use my iPhone. I used iMovie in the iPhone. I used Adobe Spark Post as a means of making my thumbnails for my videos. I used YouTube and Twitter and a WordPress website to uh, be able to have a place where my, my video logs reside even today. So that's... Uh, so journaling is a big deal to me. Um, right now, am I journaling the same way? No, I'm not doing that anymore. I am using, uh, you know, other ways of just writing down my thoughts, but not as regularly as my teacher blog that year. So journaling is a big deal, and that is uh, contributes to my success. 
You know, my last guest talked about an app out there called the Five Minute Journal as just one of many, many journaling tools. Another idea that I actually took from that conference where we met, Brian, is the idea of learning logs, getting students to maintain uh, reflections on learning there at WordPress or any other blogging site. And I think I think you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, I, I'm I'm right with you on that practice of actually writing about learning. You know, if we're not doing that, if our students aren't doing a, that, it might feel foreign or weird at first. But it is such a such a healthy practice, and, and uh, just fuels that metacognitive piece that sort of wow. You know, it sort of wakes us up to where we're at, where we're going, where we you know the steps we need to take to get there, and. Uh, so I think that's a great, great recommendation, not just for our students, but for us as professionals as well. That's right. I listened to that last podcast. Uh, I can't remember his name was Jeff, I think. And he did talk about the five minute journal. And I'm going to pick yeah. that up myself so that I can uh, start. I'm going to try that. Give it a go. Awesome. Let's move into some rapid fire recommendations. So give us your top picks in each category. Let's start at Twitter. You've already given a, a great shout out to Twitter. Who is it that we need to be following? And, and maybe it's someone that hasn't really come across our radar yet. Well, there's one person that I follow um, and I watch on a regular basis. It's Eric Kurtz, and he's got his website called Control Alt Achieve. Mm. So it's at Eric, E-R-I-C-C-U-R-T-S. And he's on Twitter and he's an educational leader out in the Ohio area. And uh, he talks about um, Google Classroom and just different Google apps and ways of, of using those in a, in your classroom. Mm -hmm. And his website is just full, full of just ideas about how you can use Google drawings, you know, at Valentine's day with your grade three kids, right. For example, or other things. And, and just watching him on Twitter has actually changed my, my teaching practice because I'm like, okay, I need something to do with my kids. And here's an, oh, this is a cool idea. Let's try that, right? And so I go into class the next day, like, wow, let's try this experiment because, you know, Eric said it's a good idea. So let's give it a go. And so it's a way that, you know, yeah, I really like his stuff. And uh, just a shout out, he's going to be the keynote at the Abbotsford Summit in October of this year. So he's coming to Abbotsford. Eric Kurtz is awesome. I was looking actually at his website today. I think he posted something like 20 best YouTube channels for social studies. And yeah, he is pumping out a lot of good stuff. So I'm going to second that vote. Next, Brian, point us to an ed tech tool that you currently love using in your classroom or your day-to-day -day work. Okay, I'm going to give you two. One is for my own personal use and the other is for my classroom. Okay. Google Keep is uh, Google's version of a notebook and it's a note-taking uh, software that web app that they have that integrates nicely with Google Docs. Right. I can have that same app on my iPhone on, you know, I can get to it on a Chrome browser, get to it on a Chromebook, my iPad, wherever I am. And those notes get saved automatically. And it's a way that I can just quickly take a note about something and even search it up later like all Google tools have. So that's Google Keep, which is uh, one that I use on a regular basis. The other for my classroom and actually personally is Adobe Spark. Adobe Spark is Adobe's um, entry level graphic design software that is not, you know, you don't need a, a university degree to, 
to be able to use Photoshop. This is a, you know, entry level. My daughter, who's in grade two, she was using Adobe Spark video to make little videos. And uh, personally, I use Adobe Spark Post, which is their picture annotation. You can put labels and captions and collages and things like that. I use Spark Post on a regular basis to make uh, social media pictures and, and, and postings that I can, I can put on social media. The great thing is your designs are easily resized to different formats. So if you've got a banner on your website, you need it a certain dimensions, you can resize it and it changes everything. You can move it around easily. And so it's fantastic. And that's Adobe Spark post. I'm really excited about checking out the Adobe Spark. You mentioned earlier that it makes great thumbnails for videos, and I am posting all of these podcasts on YouTube as well. And so that makes me think, hey, maybe I can make my thumbnails a little more exciting than what I'm currently doing. So I look forward to checking that out. Have you noticed with the new with the new Gmail, Brian, that uh, they've sort of integrated Google Keep right there on the right hand side? Have you noticed that? No, I haven't seen that yet. Yeah, if you're now Gmail, I've, I've noticed I, I have different accounts. Some of them have migrated to the new format and others have not. But if you are in the in the new Gmail look, there's a little Google Keep button over on the right hand side. And it just allows you to sort of bring Google Keep up right beside your inbox. And I just think it's really cool how they've how they've integrated it in the, the newest rendition of, of Gmail. Oh, that's cool. That's great. Mm hmm. Next, we're going to move to books, Brian. Recommend a book, one that you've been reading lately, or maybe it's one of your all-time faves, and tell us why you recommend it. All right, I'm going to go to uh, The Innovator's Mindset by George Koros. Right. And he uh, is a principal, superintendent, um, leader, educational leader out in Alberta in uh, a town to the west of Edmonton. I can't remember what it's called. Spruce Grove, out in the Spruce Grove School District. And uh, I met George at a conference, a couple conferences years ago. George was the reason why I'm actually on Twitter today, because during his mm -hmm. keynote, mm -hmm. he got talking about, you know, how we have to change the way we approach learning from each other. And Twitter at that time, this was about eight years ago, was that tool that he used on a regular basis. So in the midst of his keynote, I signed up for Twitter mm -hmm. with at Brian Carr and uh, have not looked back since. Wow. And it's been pretty nifty to see that. And so his book, The Innovator's Mindset, um, talks about how we need to change the way we think about learning. And what do we have, what, can, what are students able to use to demonstrate their learning? You know, do we need them to write a report every time they do a science project? Or can they make a video and tell us what they're about their science project through a video? You know, and that's, this is now the current way that we do things. It's more current now today, but even 10 years ago when he wrote that book or eight years ago, it's, um, you know, it was pretty cutting edge at the time and still one of my all time favorites. George is phenomenal. Next, Brian, let's move to podcasts. Tell us about a podcast that we should add to our list. And I'm constantly adding and of course, deleting because I have too many on <laughs> yeah. my phone. But is there one that you can point us to? Well, I should say that, you know, you should listen to Teacher on Fire yes. because it's uh, honestly, you know, I, didn't, I hadn't heard of Teacher on Fire until you just recently reached out to me, uh, Tim, um, to be a guest on your show. And I'm so thankful. But, uh, you know, in the past week, I've listened to a number of previous episodes that you've got. And there's a lot of people that are from different stages and phases of their educational careers that have things to say that we can all get something out of. 
So I think that's pretty nifty how, you know, your podcast is, is providing a platform for people to share, which is pretty good. Um, a podcast that I do listen to on a regular basis, and I have been doing this now for about three years, is This Week in Google. It's uh, in the This Week in Technology um, series that Leo Laporte runs, and it's his one that uh, he's got a, a couple co-hosts, Jeff Jarvis and Stacey Higginbotham, and they get together each week on a Wednesday afternoon and talk about the current news and technology. It's not all Google stuff. There is some Facebook stuff and other web apps and thinking about the way technology is being used in our in our society today. So it's not just education, but I think it's important for us to pay attention to the trends that are going on out there, like things like GDP, GDRP, which is the, the regulation in Europe that said that you know, privacy and things, which, you know, after they got going and talking about that, they brought that to my attention. I noticed that I got to check off privacy for every web app I use because they're like, we got to make sure that this guy and all of our users are agreeing to our privacy statements. So, you know, that's this week in Google has uh, changed the way I think about technology. It's affected some of my teaching practice because it allows me to see outside of education things that are coming our way and it's current stuff. And so I would recommend this week in Google. I see just adding it right now on my phone, Brian, I see it's sponsored. It looks like it's promoted or produced by Twit or This Week in Technology. And that's another another great podcast by that name. But if yes. it's anything of the same quality, definitely worth a listen. So I'm, I'm excited about that one. Two more questions on the video front, Brian. First of all, tell us about a YouTube channel that you enjoy and tell us why. Okay. Um, this week in Google is a YouTube channel. That's their, that's okay. where they put their, they have their show. So you can actually watch them interact cool. with each other as opposed to just listen to them in a podcast. Another one personally is fly fish is sport fishing on the fly. And, uh, that's a, a local British Columbia podcast or actually YouTube channel where they post videos about them fishing at different lakes and different techniques. And so that's where I do some of my research that, you know, it <laughs> helps me fish and be a better fisherman. So I like those. Awesome. Well, I'm sure we have a few fishermen, fisher women. Is that a thing? <laughs> uh, maybe fisher persons. Fisher that person. might be more politically correct. Eh? Uh, in our in our audience that will appreciate that yeah. shout out. Very last one, yeah. Brian, you're at the end of your day. Your feet are up. You're, you've got no energy left for lesson planning or building things in your garage. What are you watching on Netflix right now? Well, um, I like to watch historical dramas on Netflix, kind of like Downton Abbey and The Last King and Frontiers. And so, you know, those are things that are that take kind of a, a real event in history mm-hmm. and they, they shape a drama around them. And I think I really like that and I enjoy that. Um, another one that I like to, to watch, um, it's, a, it's a teenage drama um, that's been filmed here in Mission in the Lower Mainland and it's Riverdale and uh, it's set upon the characters of the old Archie comics. So you got Archie and Veronica and Betty and, and Jughead, right? And, uh, but it's kind of dark. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, <laughs> it's, it's not for your kids to watch it. It ain't the Archie comics, but uh, I really enjoy that. Yeah. Um, so that, and you know, documentaries, I enjoy watching things about photography. There's one series called Tales by Light and it's this number of different uh, documentaries about photographers that have talk about their passion. Why are they passionate about taking pictures? And I think it's important for us to dig into why people are passionate about things. You know, so I guess when my feet are up, I'm still digging into why people are passionate about stuff. So, but if I'm just wanting to kick back and, you know, zone out and stuff like that, it's Riverdale. Sure. 
Okay, well, you know, I love that recommendation, Tales by Light. And where were you a year ago before I taught photography as a as an elective at my middle school? <laughs> no, that sounds like one that I would enjoy as well. So, Brian, this has been so much fun, man. I feel like I have learned a ton just listening to you. And I knew having met you in person there last fall that uh, you were a guy I wanted to have on the show for sure. Tell us how we can follow you and get to know your content a little bit better. All right. You can follow me on Twitter at Brian Carr. That's at B-R-Y-O-N-C-A-R. Also on Instagram, I'm there at Brian, B-R-Y-O-N dot Carpenter. Um, and I also got my website, uh, BrianCarpenter.com. That's there. So, you know, I do put some content from my from my YouTube channel on there. You can also search me on YouTube. And uh, I am there as, I think, the B-Car, T-H-E-B-C-A-R on YouTube. So, yes, that's how you can get a hold of me. Or you can even just reach out to me in the Abbotsford School District. My email address is brian, B-R-Y-O-N dot carpenter at abby, A-B-B-Y, schools dot C-A. That's one word. Fantastic, Brian. Well, keep on making and creating and dreaming and reflecting and all of those great things that you're bringing into your teaching practice. It's been an absolute pleasure today. And have a wonderful summer. Good luck out there on your in your plywood boat. Hope you catch a lot of fish and uh, just have a wonderful summer with your family. All right, Tim. Thanks so much. It was great to be on your show. And uh, you have a great summer as well. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of Teachers on Fire, where teachers come to share, learn, and be inspired. Please subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review on iTunes, and follow us on Twitter at Teachers on Fire. I'm your host, Tim Cavey, saying goodbye for now, and we'll catch you next time right here on the Teachers on Fire podcast.